Thankful to be free this morning in Christ. Thankful to have my sins forgiven, to know that he loves me, to know that he's got a plan for my life. And what a joy it is to come and partake of the Lord's Supper here this morning with uh, God's people. If you have a, a Bible with you, why don't you go ahead and turn with me, if, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 uh, this morning is where we're going to be. And as you turn your way there, uh, we're, we're here to call on the name of the Lord. We're, we're here to, uh, to worship Him. We're here to give Him praise. We're here to give Him the worship that He and He alone deserves this morning. And uh, as, we, as we are here to call upon His name, we have the confidence that He hears us, that He answers us. What a treasure to know that as we gather, as we call upon Him, that He hears us. Recently, a young boy by the name of Cade Pope from Oklahoma mailed out 32 handwritten letters to NFL executives or or to owners of NFL teams. And in these letters, he wrote and said, I love football. I I play in a fantasy football league, and I watch the games every single weekend. But I don't have a favorite team, and I'm ready to pick one. One that I can cheer on for the rest of my life. So can you briefly tell me why I should root for your team? And he wrote this letter to 32 executives in the NFL. A handwritten letter to 32 executives. Jerry Richardson, owner of the Carolina Panthers, responded with a handwritten note of his own. The first line read, we would be honored if our team became your team. We promise that we would do our very best to make you proud. Richardson went on to commend some of his players and then gave a deep heartfelt thank you to Cade for his writing. His letter was not only personal and kind-hearted, But church, it was the only letter he received back from 32 NFL executives. And it's surprising. When I read that story, it was surprising to me that he only got back one response. But it was also a very special thing that he got the response that he did. And Cade was elated at Jerry's letter. And not surprisingly, Cade became a Carolina Panthers fan. What a special thing it is for an NFL executive to personally respond to you. But an even more special thing, church, this morning is this, that as we come to call upon the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, we know that he hears us and he responds to our cries to him as we worship Him, as we adore Him, as we come to remember His death, His sacrifice for our sins, as we partake of the bread and partake of the cup, we can know that God is here, that He's present, that He's personally involved to respond in power and in might and in salvation. And what a joy it is to be in His presence and to look to the cross this morning. Now, 
In your Bible, John chapter 3 is where we're at for our devotion, getting ready for the Lord's Supper this morning. And in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, we find a passage where Nicodemus, a religious man, is coming to the Lord seeking truth. He's seeking answers. He's clearly not real satisfied in his religion and his attempt to experience God. So he comes to Jesus with questions. The Bible says, verse 1, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're performing unless God were with him. And Jesus said, very true. Truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Now notice this. This is where we're going to be in our devotion this morning. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses was lifted up, or just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And all God's people said, Amen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Now, church, what I want us to notice in the second part of this passage, we've been uh, last Sunday in verses 1 through 8. I want us to focus on the second part of this passage. I want us to focus on how Jesus takes the conversation and redirects it to Him where the focus is on him, his knowledge, his power, his authority, his salvation, his message of hope. And we see that in verse 11 of your Bible. If you look in verse 11, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have 
seen. I think Jesus here is setting himself against Nicodemus and against the Pharisees. Jesus, I think, is placing himself in the long line of prophets who had come to Israel, but who were rejected. That, that Israel, in their pride and their stubbornness, oftentimes did not accept the words and the authority of the prophets. Now, here comes Jesus, the, the great prophet, the greatest prophet, one who is more than a prophet, one who is God in their midst. And Jesus calls out Nicodemus, if you look with me in verse 11, saying, you do not accept our testimony. Verse 12, look with, me, look with me in verse 12. You do not believe. This ties into some of the blindness that we were talking about last week with Nicodemus. That's why Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had refused to believe. He had refused to trust in Christ and so he was still in darkness. He was still blind to seeing the things right in front of him. Sometimes we can be that way. I have found that I have an amazing ability to not see things that are right in front of my face. Huh? Anybody else? This, are, are, let me ask you this. Are guys worse than ladies about this? Are they? Okay. How, how many ladies, how many of you think guys are just worse about that? All, all right. All right. All right. May, maybe that's the case. I don't know, but I have an amazing ability to not see things right in front of my face. I remember early on in my marriage, I thought that Jessica had magical abilities to make things appear in drawers that were not there just a few moments earlier, right? Or, or to be able to make my shoes appear in my closet when they weren't there a few minutes ago. Or she just magically made my keys appear on the counter. They weren't there when I was looking, huh? I have an ability, an amazing ability to not see things that are right in front of me. And in the same way, spiritually, so many people walk in blindness. The Bible says those who are spiritually blind are blind because the enemy has blinded their eyes. Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, if our gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing. Listen, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This morning we pray that you would come to Jesus if you don't know him, that you would be saved and surrender your life to him because that's the only way that your eyes are going to be open to see what matters most in life. If you don't care as much for Jesus as you should, make sure you're born again. Make sure you're saved. Make sure that your eyes have been open. Uh, those that live for this world. Hey, listen, those who come to a fork in the road one side going to life and one side going to death, the only reason you would choose death is because you're blind. Amen, somebody? And so this morning we pray that you would surrender to Christ, that you would believe and trust in Christ so that your eyes may be open. We see as we move into verse 13 that Jesus says, speaking of his authority and of his power, he says, no one has ever gone into heaven 
except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That's one of those verses that at first doesn't make a lot of sense. What does he mean that no one's ever gone into heaven? Surely he doesn't mean that a person had not gone into heaven up until this time. No, that's not, that's not what he means at all. In, in fact, the phrase, the unique phrase, speaks of, of a coming and going. So, so, so Jesus, the Son, the Son of Man, is the only one on earth that's had the authority to come and go, so to speak, in heaven. This is, think of the word ability or the authority to get yourself in and out, to have access to heaven. No one ever been like Jesus. Um, thinking about authority, thinking about permission, uh, thinking about access. Uh, if you were, let's think about our homes that we own. Um, if you were to come home at the end of the day and I was in your living room watching TV with my feet kicked up on the end table, how many of you know that there's really no adequate explanation that can make that acceptable? Amen? Come on, get behind me. Amen? I do not have authority to go in and out of your house. I do not have access to go in and out of your house. You have that authority. You can go in and out of your house without knocking on the door, without asking for permission, without ringing the doorbell. I don't have that access. Jesus Christ is the only man who's ever lived, the God-man, who has access in and out of heaven. He doesn't need special permission. He can go in and out anytime he wants. But the fact this morning is this, no one but Jesus has that authority. No one but Jesus has that access. And Jesus wants Nicodemus to see the authority that Christ has, that if Nicodemus would just trust in the one who had the keys to heaven, who could come and go, so to speak, his eyes would be opened and he would be saved. Jesus is pointing to his own divinity, his own power. As Jesus moves on, and we uh, draw to a close this morning, as Jesus moves on, uh, verse 14, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Now this is going back to an Old Testament story, Numbers chapter 21, where God's people were greatly rebellious towards Moses and towards God. And so God sent judgment into the camp for a wake-up call to get their attention. Poisonous snakes went in and began to bite the people, but God in his grace and God in his mercy led Moses to take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, raise the pole up, and anyone who would look by faith to that bronze serpent, they would be healed from that plague. Jesus is saying that in the very same way, I, the Son of Man, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be raised up. Listen, I'm going to become a curse for you. I'm going to go to a cross and take your punishment for you. And anyone then who looks to me can be saved, can be forgiven of their sins, can have the curse reversed, so to speak. And that leads into John 3.16, my favorite passage in all of, of God's Word. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The word so emphasizes the intensity and the greatness of God's love. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this reminds us this morning that the gospel is for all people, that God loves all of the world. God loves the skeptic. God loves the doubter. God loves the drunkard. God loves the rebel. God loves those who are sexually immoral. God loves the religious hypocrite. God loves everybody. He hates our sin, but my friends, he loves the sinner. God loves the world. He loves the high class. He loves the low class. He loves the no class. God loves all the world. Max Lucado has said, speaking of God's love for the world, quote, junkyard wrecks and showroom models share equal space in God's garage. God loves the world. He loves the world so much that he gave. He gave his one and only son. We, we see insight into the Trinitarian relationship of our Lord here. God the Father gives of his own son. The son willingly comes for our redemption and for our salvation. The phrase only begotten or one and only church highlights the unparalleled relationship between God the Father and Jesus Christ. The word begotten is a Greek word used to refer to the conception of a child and the transfer of DNA from parents to their child. And you can see the significance as this relates to Christ. This verse teaches that Jesus, while he was man, was not just man. Amen? That Jesus shared God's DNA. That he and God, the Father, have the same essence the same quality. What we would attribute to God, we would attribute to Jesus here on earth. God the Father gave His one and only Son because He loves us so much. And church, as we partake of the bread, as we partake of the cup this morning, be reminded that nobody has ever and nobody will ever love you like Jesus. God loves us no matter what we've done. God loves us no matter where we've been in the past or where we are today. There's nothing that could make God love us more and there's nothing that we could do to make God love us any less. Here we see in John 3.16 that God's love is so great that He gave His best. He gave of Himself. And it's belief that unlocks that door, so to speak. Uh, be believe is a heart word. Heart. It's a heart word. Biblically, it's a heart word. It's not a, it's not a head word. It's, it's not to intel give an intellectual assent to facts, but it's to be moved in our heart to believe and trust Jesus that he really loves us. He really gave his life for us. He really rose again, that he really can't, is coming back again, and, and that I can really trust him to forgive me from all of my sins. Faith comes with empty pockets and says, God, I, I, have, I have nothing to earn your love. I, I have nothing to buy your love, nothing to buy your salvation. I come with empty pockets. All I have is faith 
And I believe that you love me. And I believe that you'll save me if I'll call upon you. And in verse 17, we see this message of hope. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this is the message that we have as a church, that Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. And his mission was not to come and to condemn the world. His message and his works, his life, was to come and lay down his life so that all could be saved from sins. Today, my only hope, your only hope, is in Jesus Christ. My hope is not in what I've done or what I've not done. My hope is not in my mama and my daddy and my grandparents and what they meant to the church growing up. My hope is not that I'm a Baptist. My friends, uh, being listen, I, I am a Baptist, but I know this, and I hope you know this. Being a Baptist won't get you into heaven. It's Jesus who gets you into heaven. And this morning, what a joy it is to know that he loves us so much that he demonstrated his love through his sacrifice. That God so loved the world that he, that he gave, gave his one and only son. I've always been inspired I've always been inspired and encouraged by love that moves on someone's heart to sacrifice. That's what true love is. One of the great examples of such sacrifice is that from the life of Joseph Damien. Joseph Damien lived in the late 1800s and early in his life he chose to make the sacrifice of moving into a leper community on an island off of Hawaii. It was an island where nobody went except for those who had leprosy, a terrible skin disease, as you know. And Joseph went there to share the gospel. He went there to share the hope of Christ and the message of Jesus with these hurting lepers. For 16 years, he lived in their midst, and he loved those people. He loved those precious people too much to keep his distance. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds. He embraced bodies that no one would touch. He preached to hearts that would have otherwise been left alone. He organized schools and bands, and choirs, and he built homes so that the lepers could have shelter. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died... They could be buried with dignity. Slowly but surely, it was said that that little leper island became known as a place to live and not just die. Every Sunday, year after year, Joseph would stand before the people and as he preached to them year after year, he would say, My fellow believers... That's how he would start every Sunday morning. My fellow believers. But one morning, Joseph stood before his congregation and he didn't open up with my fellow believers. Instead, he opened up and he said, My fellow lepers. Yes, you guessed it. 
because of his love for this leper community, Joseph Damien contracted leprosy. And the one who had chosen to live as they lived would now die as they died. And Joseph Damien would forever go down in history as one who loved these precious people so much that he couldn't help but sacrifice. In a much greater display of sacrifice, church, God's love for us led him to come close. Led him to come from heaven to earth. Walk where we walked. Breathe the air that we breathe. Walk upon the sod that we walked. And then go to the place where we should have been. The cross. And there he became a curse for us so we wouldn't have to be cursed before God. Rose again on the third day, conquering death and hell in the grave. And now his salvation is for all who would believe and trust in him. I know of no greater gift in all of the earth than the gift of Jesus Christ. And we're here to love on him, worship him, adore him, and remember his sacrifice through the Lord's Supper this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we come before you this morning, we do so with humble hearts, with thankful hearts, with, with broken hearts before you. Lord, we are so thankful for your love. We're so thankful for your sacrifice. And Lord, we're so thankful for this, this supper that you have given us. A supper that you have, have given us, Lord, so that we can remember your love. We can remember your sacrifice. We can remember that you've demonstrated your love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ, you died for us. Lord, as we partake of this supper this morning, we pray that you would cleanse and wash our hearts. We pray, God, that we would leave here closer to you than we've ever been and that, God, our hearts would just be moved in a mighty way at the sacrifice of your life. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that uh, we would leave with changed hearts, transformed hearts. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. We're going to enter into a time of response to the Word. This is a time of preparing ourselves for the Lord's Supper. It's a time where we'll stand, where we will sing, where we will ask the Lord to speak to our hearts if we have sin. Uh, in our hearts, this is a time we want to confess that. We want to say, Lord, you know my heart, you know my sin, and uh, Lord, I give this to you, and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I want my heart washed before I take of the Lord's Supper. Uh, the altar will be open if you want to come, if you want to pray. If you need someone to pray with you, the altar will be open. But uh, at this time, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and respond to the Lord as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper.